The Beaux-Arts Photography Podcast with Alan and Natalie Brio. Okay, so today, what are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about next year's summit. We have a lot of people that are interested and they want to know where it's going to be. So we picked out a beautiful location that is uh, very nice and pleasant in the winter. And we will reveal this location in a few minutes. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. In fact, we've already revealed it because as we have uh, already announced the summit yesterday, and we have a brand new location, which is? Death Valley. Death Valley National Park in the state of California. Yes. Which is one of my favorite photographic locations, isn't it? It's very nice. I have uh, the conference room will be at the Furnace Creek Inn, which is on top of the hill. And then I have reserved rooms at the Furnace Creek Ranch is where most of us will be staying just at the bottom of the hill. I think it could be one of our most exciting locations ever for the summit. The location of the conference room is just fantastic. It's actually a ballroom with a giant fireplace and enough room to hold how many people would you say? A 100? great view. I mean, at least 100 people, right? I think we're, so. We're not going to have that many at the summit because we want to keep it to a reasonable amount so we have enough time to work with everyone. But um, that room is enormous and it has a fantastic view. It does. On the playa. And the Panamint Mountains on the other side of the playa. You can take great photographs right from the terrace, right? Right from the hotel. Yes, you can. Well, what's great about Death Valley is the variety. You have sand dunes, you have the playa, you have the Panamint Mountains, and we have, um, who are our guest speakers going to be? Well, our two guest presenters this year are Tony Sweet and Mark Nelson. And Tony Sweet is going to talk about uh, very creative ways of doing photography using a variety of different applications and techniques. And Mark Nelson is going to talk about how to do platinum printing using digital negatives. Because one of the main problems doing uh, platinum printing is, is that it's a contact printing system. And so the size of the print is limited by the size of the negative. And before digital, we had to use large cameras to make large negatives. You know, and 4x5 is already a large camera, but it doesn't make a very big print. It makes a 4x5-inch print. So some people went to 8x10 cameras, some went to 11x14 cameras, and some went even farther to something like 17x20 cameras, you know, which we call banquet cameras. We were used to photograph banquets and weddings in, in the old days. But, I mean, setting a camera like that is an incredible job. It literally requires a van, and uh, you don't use a dark clock. You use a teepee, basically, <laughs> to put over the camera. I remember seeing somebody use one of these cameras, a banquet camera, 17 by 20, and he, was, he had set up a tent under which he had the camera so he could see the ground glass, and he was smoking, and it looked like there was a fire inside the teepee. You know, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he was warming himself up, basically. <laughs> but he was just taking a photo. It took an hour. Wow. Just to focus the damn thing. So, you know, obviously that was a main, main problem, a huge hurdle. And now with digital, we can take any camera, enlarge the photograph in Photoshop, print it as a negative on an inkjet printer using a transparency material, and then do contact printing of any size we want. So we are basically now no longer limited in size. And Mark is going to show us how to make these contact negatives because the whole challenge is to make a very, very good negative so that it prints well. 
and and that's a you know it's an acquired skill it's a learned skill you have to find out exactly what you need to do and mark is an expert and has written uh, a tutorial called uh, you know uh, digital negative and uh, he's going to teach that during the summit Will we also get to see some of his work and Tony's work? Yeah, everybody summit? will have prints of their work. I mean, we always have prints of my work. Yes. And Tony will have uh, most likely prints of his work. And Mark will definitely have prints of his works because uh, Platinum does not reproduce well at all on the internet because it's all about the feeling of the print and we know that the web is not very good for regular photographs but it's particularly bad for platinum because platinum has a very unique feel that is really almost impossible to reproduce so you have to see an original well i think the great thing about having the summit next year in death valley is that there is no reference point in death valley Unlike Monument Valley, where you have the mittens that if you change something or did something different, people would say, you know, that's wrong, that's not right. In Death Valley, I think you can be more creative with color, and it's very tactile. You have lots of textures, but also artist palette, where you just have the colors just coming out of the ground. It's very colorful, and I think having these two presenters is really going to help us focus on creativity, working on personal style, and maybe doing some unique work and kind of, you know, putting the technical in the background and focusing on the artistic. Yeah, the technical is always important because if you don't have good techniques, you don't have good photographs. But the problem is that technique alone does not create fine art. What creates fine art is creativity and personal vision. And Dev Valley, as you said, is the perfect place for being creative because, as you said, there's no point of reference. It's not like we have something that somebody that has never been to Dev Valley can recognize. I always take the example of the white picket fence and uh, a green lawn or a green grass. If you change the color of the fence or you change the color of the grass, people are going to say, oh, come on, that's not real. The grass is green. It's not blue. It's not purple. The fence is white. It's not blue or yellow or orange. Because we all know what a white picket fence and a green grass look like. You know, most people have it in their yard, right? That's, that's the traditional, you know, American front yard decoration, basically. But in Dev Valley... There's nothing that anybody has ever seen unless they have been to Dev Valley. And even though they have been there, which obviously not many people have, it's hard to remember the colors. Because first of all, different places in Dev Valley will have different colors, but also the colors are going to be different at different times of the day or different times of the year. Right. It's going to be different if it's wet or if it's dry. It's going to be different in the spring or in the fall. And so, you know, you take a place like Artist Palette, which has a multitude of different colors in the rocks, you know, in the sand and the clay and all of that. And if somebody makes it a little bit more blue or a little bit more red or a little bit more pastel or contrasty, nobody can object, really, because where is the point of reference? Right. You know, there is nothing that's neutral gray, there's nothing that's white, there's nothing that's black. It's all these very subdued colors that can be either increased in saturation or decreased or shifted slightly in you, uh, change of color balance, all sort of things. And, and that's just the color. When you look at the shape of things, you know, same thing. Where's the point of reference? Right. You know? And Death Valley is also a great place to do panoramas and stitching, if you like to do, yeah, compose yeah. that way. It's a very wide landscape. It is. It's and very vast. So you can do panoramas, you can do stitching, and I do that on a regular basis. I mean, most of my work right now, I think 80% of my work is done by stitching. 
and uh, I call it collages, you know, but they are basically several photographs taken, you know, side by side or sometimes on top of each other that are then assembled, you know, in Photoshop uh, using photo merge, which works very well for me. Uh, very simple, works very well. And uh, I do it not for the purpose of increasing resolution, because I have plenty of resolution, I use the digital back, but for the purpose of composing the image differently. So I use stitching as a form of composition, and DevValley is ideal for that, yeah. So wide open landscape. You can never have a wide angle too big in DevValley. I agree, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and the well, problem is, you know, even the biggest wide angle is not big enough, and that's why I stitch, you know. Right. Well, last uh, March when we had the Death Valley workshop, we had a unique situation where we had a, a lake literally at Badwater. I mean, it wasn't that deep, but the water was perfectly clear and you could see the borax formations, the patterns through the water, which was really interesting. Yeah, that was unique. Yeah, It was only a couple of inches deep. But the good thing about that is we could walk in the lake for, you know, as long as we wanted. I know. Without, you know, drowning. (laughs) Right. It never got deeper. It was just the same. It was one inch deep for a mile. (laughs) (laughs) It was. But that's just what you need for reflections because for photography, nobody will ever know how deep it is right. but all we need is the water to get the reflections and, yes. and that's what we got and then we got the sunrise light on the Panamint mountains reflected in the bad water lake with the patterns it was absolutely gorgeous it doesn't get better than that no you know, <laughs> sunrise light with water in the valley and reflections at sunrise you know what more do you want I you know, know. it's it's uh, it's hard to overdo that you know it's hard to top that off it is but i'm sure we can Somehow, you know, if you wait long enough, you know, uh, we did not have clouds. So maybe next time we'll have sunrise light with reflections, water and clouds. (laughs) Yes. Well, the also the great thing about Death Valley being the location is Las Vegas is the closest international airport to fly into. And it's only about a two and a half hour drive, I think. Two-hour right. drive to it's Las Vegas. It's a quick Vegas. drive from yeah. Vegas to to Death Valley, yeah. So it's very convenient. And we know the back roads to speed up the drive. <laughs> yeah. And Death Valley is really a place that for many photographers is on their list, you know. It's, you know, something that they want to go see. And what better opportunity to do that than to go to the summit next year, you know, in 2011 and uh, be in the valley with some great photographers. And uh, always we have fantastic participants, you know, at the summit. Oh, I agree. It's, you know, when we started this, we really wanted this to be an event where photographers could support one another and make friends Mm -hmm. and learn from each other. And that was always our goal since 2003. It's about cooperation. It is. And people have made many friendships over the years, Mm -hmm. and it has always been a positive event. It's an event that I look forward to every year. You know, I try to find the locations and the conference rooms and write the contracts and everything, but I just love the summit. Yeah, and you're a big part of this because you take care of all the logistics and all the reservations and, like you say, finding the conference room. And It's, it's a challenge because one of the problems we have is not so much finding the location. There's many beautiful locations, but finding a conference room in those locations. And if it wasn't for that, we could go to many other places. But some of these locations have such small towns that they have a hotel, but that's it. You know, yes. There is no conference room. 
the biggest room in the hotel is the breakfast area. Yeah, the breakfast area, <laughs> the lobby. Yeah, the lobby. <laughs> you know, I mean, I remember in Nivining, which is Mono Lake, it was raining, so we went to the lady that runs the hotel. Murphy's Motel and we said we need a room to meet because it's raining and she basically gave us another hotel room right yeah for a family yeah <laughs> you know she said you know there's you know, there's 14 of you yeah. I think you all fit up there right. and yeah. we did but so we could not have the summit in that room that wouldn't work and that's the problem so yeah. afterwards, after the summit, we always do a three-day photographic vision field workshop. And where are we going to go after Death Valley? Well, this year, after Death Valley, after the summit, we are going to go to the Eastern Sierra Nevada. We are going to drive from Death Valley to Lone Pine. We're going to spend some time in the Alabama Hills and also in the Mojave Desert between uh, Death Valley and uh, Lone Pine. And then we're going to drive along the eastern side of the Sierra Nevada, you know, the eastern Sierras, to Bishop, and photograph uh, around Bishop with some beautiful locations there. We'll go to the Gideon Rowell Gallery in Bishop, oh, know, yeah. which is always uh, very nice, an interesting attraction, you know, beautiful work by Gideon Rowell. And then we'll end up in uh, Levining for Mono Lake, which, uh, you know, is definitely one of the most beautiful locations in the Southwest. And the interesting thing with Mono Lake is that the lake became famous because the water was being drained, you know, to provide water to Los Angeles. And over the years, you know, the environmental conflict has resulted in uh, Los Angeles deciding to not tap the water from Mono Lake anymore. And so the lake is now rising. And the formations that we photograph, the formations that we call the tufas, you know, that have made Mono Lake famous for photographers, are now slowly becoming buried underwater. They're becoming flooded again. And so it's not going to be very long until Mono Lake as a photographic destination is over. You know, and so we are trying to take advantage of whatever time we have left to photograph it. And, you know, it can never be too soon. Because the last time I was there, I've noticed that some of the tufas had started collapsing yeah, I couldn't tell how recent some of those... As soon as the water rises, it's going to make the stone crumble because it's going to soak with water. You know, it's this very is fragile. very, very fragile stone and very porous. It is. Are, it's basically limestone. Mm -hmm. It's a limestone deposit in the lake that's forming those tufas. And uh, they are starting to collapse. As soon as they get wet, they topple over. And in a few years, there won't be anything left. Yeah. So we have to photograph them quickly. And that's why I think the summit, in a way, is very timely for that. So it, it happens. I mean, a lot of the things we photograph, you know, they are geological features, and they won't be there forever. We've seen arches collapse. We've seen rocks stop all over. You know, and not, not that we were there when it happened, but, you know, we go back the next year, and it's over. Right. You know? Well, even in Canyon de Chez, right. one of your images, Spider Rock Snowstorm, right. where the tree is no longer there anymore. Yeah, so I'm the glad I did tree. it while the tree was there because, you know, now it's gone. And another tree that I photographed actually much after is also gone, you know. And, and those are trees that are growing right on the edge of the canyon. And so... And they're dead. They yeah. are dead trees. The roots have rotten. A big snowstorm or a big rainstorm and it washes away the dirt that's holding it and up they go into the canyon. <laughs> you know, never to be seen again. Right, <laughs> you know? right. So... Uh, that's why it's important to photograph it, you know, while we are there. And, you know, it's not the kind of situation where you can say, well, I'll come back next year. You, you, you can come back next year, but it may be gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Got to do your best when you're there. So how do we register for the uh, Death Valley Summit? Well, you go to my website and you go to the page uh, on workshops and there will be a link 
to the 2011 uh, Dev Valley Summit. And all of the information is on that page. And obviously, you can uh, register from that page using uh, one of the PayPal buttons. Or if you don't like PayPal, you can just call us and register over the phone at 800-949-7983 or 928-252-2466. And we're in Arizona. And uh, you can also email us and uh, do it over the email. Right. And our alumni, our summit alumni, will receive $100 off the registration. Yeah, we have a discount for everyone that has attended the summit in the past. And the summit is now in its ninth year. And so we have uh, eight years of uh, summit participants that qualify for the discount. And that's a lot of people and with did, hundreds of students over the And the years. years don't have to be consecutive. I mean, you could have come in two, 2005 and you'd still get yes, your discount. Yes, we, we are not looking at this with a microscope. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't come to last yeah. year's. <laughs> now, let's go over your registration again. Was it placed? <laughs> no, we don't really care. Yeah, if, you have, if you've been there, regardless of when, you qualify. And uh, you can sign up for the summit only or for the film workshops plus the summit. And uh, most people sign up for the film workshop and the summit because it's such an exciting combination, I think. It is. Uh, many people really like the format because we do field work. We have presentations from, you know, you and Tony Sweet and Mark Nelson next year. But then in the evening, they have you to help them with their images when they're working on them after dinner in Lightroom or Photoshop or anything that they need help with. And you can't beat that. One-on-one -on -one work, yeah. And normally, except for the summit, it's only available if uh, people sign up for my one-on-one -on -one consulting program. But the summit allows you to work with me and then with Tony and Mark at the same time this year, one-on-one -on -one every evening. Right. And we have a special time for that, you know, which is after dinner um, every evening for two or three hours, I think. Where we it's do usually one -on -one two work. hours yeah. after dinner. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know the schedule. I don't. I'm. Uh, <laughs> I just do, and you tell. Well, you we say. get tired, so yeah. it's usually two hours. Yeah. It it is intense, but it's uh, very very useful because you get to ask questions that are personal to you. Oh, work. definitely. And that's that's where I think the power of the one-on-one -on -one consulting comes in. And so, how is the um, review? going to work for next year? Well, we've done the review through a projection system. That is, we project the photographs and uh, we review them, you know, Mark, Tony and I, and then you also, looking at everybody's uh, photographs, you know, and everybody gets to submit a number of photographs, a selection of your best work for the submit. And then we comment on the composition, on the processing quality, you know, both the, the artistic and the technical aspects, basically. Yes, and, and that's very important because a lot of people tend to focus on one or on the other, you know. And obviously, with photography, the focus for most people is technical, but you don't have a fine art photograph if there is no artistic content. And so we work on that, you know. Well, I know in the last four years we have also done a blur book at the end of the summit, but uh, you know we usually have somebody that volunteers and we'll probably, from the summit. Yeah, we'll probably do one again next year. We like to have somebody volunteer to put together the blur book. And that helps us because we obviously are very, very busy. And it's usually no problem. It's always nice to have 
a memento of the summit. You know? Oh, I agree. And the variety of images that you see, because not everybody can submit the same exact image. Nobody has the same images. Even exactly. if you're at the same location at the same time, you still end up with different photographs. And it, it makes a nice collection. I now have a collection of blurb books on the past summit, and I really enjoy it. This will be our fourth yeah. year. And I get my work in the book, oh, too. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody does. I know, know uh, some of the summit participants have really enjoyed buying extra ones and giving them away to family as gifts for Christmas, for the holidays. It's an opportunity to be published jointly with other photographers, mm-hmm. not just by yourself. I mean, obviously, anybody can make a book of their own work. It's not difficult. Just go to blurb.com and upload your photos and off you go. But it's another matter to be published in a collection of work by a group of photographers, especially people that are well-known. And that's a totally unique opportunity. And I think it's something that for a lot of people can be added to their resume and something that they can be proud of. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 So it's definitely something important. Definitely one of the highlights of the summit. And plus, it's a very, very nice souvenir of the the event, you know. And we have people that come from very far. We've had people coming from Australia, New Zealand. Hong Kong. Hong Kong. You know, of course, Europe. Canada. Canada. I mean, all over the world. And I think we'll continue to see uh, people come from very far because eventually, if you take the summit and the field workshops, you have, what, seven days total a week? Well, definitely a six full days and then Friday. Yeah, so a week, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, that justifies traveling from very far. It does. Because one of the problems, obviously, if you go from, let's say, Hong Kong to you know California or from Australia to California or New Zealand to California or anywhere in the world, you know, overseas, is you really need to go there for a significant length of time to justify the expense of the trip. And you're not going to go there for a day, you know, even for two days, you know, if it was a two day seminar, it's not worth it. Well, the great thing about the three-day Vision Field workshop after the summit is everybody has gotten to know each other over the, you know, little more than three days. So they've made friends and they just have a great time. Yeah, they are in the company of people that they now have got to know, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because people have dinner together. And they, they share the same together. interests. <clears throat> they share the same interests. They stay in the same hotel, especially in the yes. Valley. There's not that yeah. much choice. We'll all be together. <laughs> yeah, we'll be very close to each other. It's a small place. <laughs> That's okay. We're all friends. <laughs> it's not, uh, <laughs> this is not Paris. <laughs> right? You know, the Valley uh, population in the winter is what, 20 people? <laughs> you know, and the rest are tourists, right? <laughs> but definitely there is a camaraderie that forms during the summit. There is. And then the other thing that happens is after four days of seminar and classroom tutorial and being inside, uh, most of the time when, with the windows closed or the, the shades down so that the we curtains, can yeah. have darkness to present, uh, you know, the photographs and so on, we are ready to escape yeah. <laughs> and be free and outside in the sun and taking photographs. Exactly. You know? So I think it's a nice break. You know, it, it works well because I think after four days of seminar, everybody is ready to go out and, and shoot and have fun and use what they've learned. Mm-hmm. You know, because well, the seminars are presentations on technical aspects like processing and, and optimization, but also artistic aspects that present on composition, that present on inspiration. We give exercises to the participants and all of that can be used during the field workshops. Yes, the field workshops, it builds from the summit. Yeah, it's, it's a natural continuation of the summit. That, that's what it is. 
you know, because you can use it obviously during the summit, but you don't photograph all day long. You only photograph, you know, in the morning and in the evening. And so, in a sense, you don't have all that much time. After the summit, we have a lot of time that people can use to apply all of that and then talk to us and, and have us help them with these exercises if they want to. And I know even during the field workshops, you give a couple of short presentations, but they have exercises that they do from left over from your presentations during the summit because you usually include, you know, some exercises right. to do. Most of my presentations have exercises because if you don't have exercises, then it's just a lecture. Right. If you have exercises, then it becomes a hands-on. Right. But that's what I like thing. about it because, yeah. the, you know, <clears throat> it builds from the summit. And then, of course, we give more uh, presentations during the field workshop and more exercises. That is, the field workshops are not just uh, a tool, they're another learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, we have, and we're there to help them one-on-one in right, the field, too. Also, yeah. and, uh, but we have also very specific presentations that I give during the field workshops and not during the summit. So it's definitely an added value for many people. You know, it represents, let's say, an increased opportunity for them, you know, to attend the summit. It's a nice combination. It's like attending a seminar plus a field workshop. Right. Well, I know this uh, last time, uh, one of your presentations was uh, starting a project, defining what a project is and how to start a project. And a lot of them really enjoyed that presentation. And started on projects. Yeah. That was quite amazing. And they wanted, Mm. and also they started giving names or titles to their projects and they were kind of bouncing that off of you. And, and, you know, pointing out what to watch out for on projects, you know, what to do, what to not do. Exactly. The pitfalls, the advantages, all of that. And uh, definitely um, gives you a leg up, a much better start than if you have to figure it out by yourself. Oh, definitely. And I I think to me, that's the number one value in, in taking a workshop Something that I emphasize when I teach and something that I look for when I take a workshop or when I attend seminars is how much time I'm saving. You know, I always say that, uh, you know, we had actually somebody that came to visit us in the gallery a couple of days ago that said that was the one thing that he remembered after the workshop, the emphasis on saving time. Because, you know, we can all make more money, but we can't make more time. (laughs) If somebody out there knows how to make more time, call me. I'm very interested because I haven't figured it out myself. <laughs> you know, we have 24 hours in a day. I, I don't know how to make 25 or 26. And so to me, it's very important to save time. You know, if I can learn how to do something faster uh, without sacrificing quality, you know, by just, let's say, avoiding making the major you know, mistakes that people make, right? Then I save time. Definitely. And, you know, to me, that has been the biggest time-saving thing in my life is trying to not make any more mistakes than I have to, you know, trying to prevent the most obvious mistakes. And you do that by learning from somebody who has already made the mistakes. <laughs> I agree. You know, and trust, trust me, we've made them all. I've made many of them. Yeah, same here. Yeah, we qualify as extreme uh, mistake makers. <laughs> you know, we've made lots of mistakes, and uh, not because we wanted to, but because we did not know any better. Right. Yeah, and we had nobody to help us. I mean, I remember when we started our business, we did not know what marketing was you know we had no idea what uh, to do well basically. we didn't know yeah. anybody that was where we wanted to be yeah you know so we didn't we, have a, a, yeah. a role model or a model yeah and there was nobody available i mean we could have searched and you know nobody was available so we basically had to go through trial and error and trial and error works but it works if you have a lot of time 
Otherwise, if you can't afford to waste any more time than necessary, trial and error is just an enormous mistake as, as we approach because it's very, very time-consuming. The best is to go and, and follow a model where somebody has already done the trial and error process. Right? <laughs> right. I mean, I always say that. You know, somebody has already invented the wheel. Why try to reinvent it? Just use it. Right. You know? Just and expand on it, build on it. Well, yeah, go straight to getting further than that person has gone. Don't try to relearn what we've learned. There is no point. If they are willing to teach it, take advantage of it. Oh, definitely. The, the problem that I had in the past is people were not willing to teach what they knew, you know. And, and still today, you know, a lot of people are not willing to teach what they know. And so, or they teach something, but they don't teach the whole thing. So you're like, okay, that's good, but I'm missing the most important part, you know. <laughs> so it's frustrating. And we don't do that, you know. I, I don't believe in holding anything or playing close to the chest. You know, either I, I teach everything or I don't teach anything at all. <laughs> you know, it's a whole lot better to tell people, listen, I don't teach that. Than yeah. to say, listen, I teach that, but I'm only going to give you, you know, part of it. Well, we were know? both trained yeah. as teachers, yeah. and you know, when you teach, you know, you share knowledge. You know, you, yeah. you know. And well, and if you compare photography teaching to maths to mathematics, you can't teach half of an equation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Either you teach how to solve the equation, or you don't. You don't say, okay. You only teach to step number five. Right. I'm only. We're only going to resolve this equation part way. And then the rest, you know, uh, I'm not sure if I want to go there because it's personal. <laughs> it took me a long time to learn how to do this. And I don't see that I want to teach it right now. You know, I'm not ready yet. So I'll teach about half of it. It's ridiculous, you know, because maths is either it works or it doesn't. Either you solve the equation or you don't. But there is the belief that in art, you can teach part of it. And that's already going to be better than nothing. Well, half an equation is better than nothing, but it doesn't do the job, you know. And so my approach is either I teach it. 100% or I don't teach it at all. You know, in photography, there is really nothing that I'm not teaching, you know. But there's a lot of things in my life that I don't feel like teaching because I well, never learned them to teach them, you know. Teaching me French was one of them. I don't like, to, yeah, if, yeah, this is <laughs> full, dis <laughs> right, full disclosure. If you are listening to this podcast, looking for a French teacher, you came to the wrong place. I will not teach French. I'm sorry, yeah. I couldn't. Uh, it's, I it's had a to fact. say it. I don't like teaching <laughs> French. Yeah, and that's because what I'm interested in is having, let's say, a conversation with people. Exactly. If I speak French with somebody, I want to discuss philosophy. I want to discuss postmodern theory. Exactly. I want to talk about art. I want to talk about, you know, cooking. I don't want to say, okay, this is how you say, I am looking for a hotel. You know. <laughs> You know, where is the taxi terminal? Where is you know, the Eiffel Tower? <laughs> how do I say this? You know, no, I, I'm not interested. You know, I, I want to have an informed conversation with people. I'm fully willing to speak French, but I'm not interested in teaching the basics. That's just not my forte. I get frustrated. It doesn't work for me. That's why I don't teach modern languages you know, right. or ancient languages for that matter. <laughs> I have the same problem with Latin and Greek. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm very good at teaching photography because it's something that I really enjoy teaching. Right. So and you have like a passion I said, for yeah, it. exactly. I don't have a passion for teaching French, uh, and that's what I say. You know, I either don't teach it at all, or go all the way and teach the whole thing, and, and that's been my approach, and it's working very well. Well, this sounds great, and I'm really looking forward to next year's summit. It's going to be a very exciting summit, and as I said, we just announced it. It's going to be in Death Valley National Park in California. And uh, if you go to my site, beautiful-landscape.com or alanbrio.com, you'll then go to the workshop page and you can see all the details of this event. 
and uh, we look forward to seeing you there.